Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. John Parsons is our guest, a leading expert on cybersecurity for children. He's worked with the police and schools all over New Zealand and with young people and their parents, showing them how to stay safe online. John says it's not about demonising technology and devices, but about learning how to use it safely. And he says that comes from having a clear set of family values. John Parsons is in Nelson. Hi, John. Good morning. Is it a lot easier to train the person than to try and keep up with the um, you know, advances in safety online and the firewalls and which platform they're on? Is that your starting point? It really is. I think also the best firewall that a child has got online are family values and a strong sense of self-worth. So where do you start with applying what you hope is happening anyway, but applying it or seeing the synergy with their online world? I think it starts offline. Um, we, we are very much into this idea of complexity, and we need to guard against complexity when we use technology. The technology itself is a complex architecture, but parenting doesn't have to be. So I think we need to look at the child away from technology, and what, does that, what do they need to, to stay safe offline as well as online? And that's family values, where they are raised in a family that they are loved, um, they are, uh, compassion is expressed every day. When parents self-regulate and raise a child in a non-judgmental home, the child learns to use technology more appropriately when they do pick it up and go into cyberspace. So a lot of the teaching occurs away from technology. All that's understood, but kids are also designed to test boundaries and particularly as they get towards adolescence to push away. So hearing everything that you say, we don't ever expect them not to make mistakes. We don't ever expect them not to go and try to do things and explore things that, particularly in the online world, can lead them, as they can at any of us, down pathways. It's not quite as simple as it as saying, do this, don't do this, uh, here are our boundaries, now stick to them. Absolutely not. And first of all, what I'd like to point out is that our children are not the first generation that doesn't have a right to make a mistake. Uh, too often I hear parents saying to the child when I work with a victim of a cybercrime, you've put that picture online and you've ruined your life. And that's not the way to deal with a victim. Um, so I think we've got to be less willing to demonise the technology, become less dramatic about when a child does make a mistake and understand that for every child that I've worked with that's 9, 10 or 11 that's connected to a paedophile online or made a poor choice, I've worked with an adult who's a senior citizen that may have given up $100,000 in a companion website. So it's got less to do with age and more about providing practical ways of staying safe. Now, when you talk about adolescent children, of course, they are reaching out, forming um, relationships with other people, trying to find out who they are in the world, what position they can play in that world. And a lot of drivers around that are to communicate with people. And of course, that's, that's healthy and it's normal, and we should allow them to do that. But alongside that child's journey, particularly when they connect, can connect to thousands of people online, parents need to provide guardianship and oversight as they do that. 
Let's talk about first principles then. First of all, when and how technology is used. Is that something that you do need to establish boundaries around uh, when they're quite young or or really on their journey? Certainly. um, The American Paediatrics Association um, have got um, interesting research that they've produced recently, and they will uh, tell people quite clearly from zero to two, no child should use any form of technology or look at any particular screen at all, from zero to two. From three to five, um, an absolute maximum, maximum of one hour per day, as long as there is co-viewing from an adult. And then from five up, it is about applying logic and wisdom to that child's use of technology. And what I would add to that from sort of five to ten years old, that it isn't just the child's use of technology that we need to be focusing on, but is the child moving? Are they engaged? Do they go outside? Are they, do they have friends around them? So rather than look at just the child's use of technology on its own, look at the global picture of that child. The more, um, I guess, uh, practical steps that we can take is that from 5 to 10, well, in fact, from 0 to 10, technology should not be stored in the bedroom. It should have no place within that bedroom at all. It should be in the living room space, in the communal space. And the reason I say that is because that when a child does reach adolescence, that's when risk increases. And that's when mom and dad can see the risk and they try and bring the technology out of the bedroom. To avoid that risk, they shouldn't let the child establish a relationship with it in the bedroom. Keep it in the lounge area. Now, as they move away from adolescence, then it is important that that child can establish some privacy within their own life where they can start to communicate with people um, and form boundaries that allow them to have these private moments within, within their own space But alongside that, what the parent needs to do is observe that child. And are they goal-orientated? Do they have good friends around them? And if if that appears to be the case, then let them continue on that journey. But the minute something changes within that child's life, move in and have a look at what's going on. And this is all about logic and wisdom. What do you do when you see a behaviour change that alerts you to the fact something's up and possibly what's happening online is part of it? Well, you move in much closer and have a conversation. But what's important here is that we establish a relationship with that child that is open, where the child can come and talk to us about anything. But not when they're 14 and 15, when they're 9, 10 and 11. It starts when they're young. I do a workshop called The Cradle to the Rave. And the idea is that the cradle end of the child's life, we power them up so they can protect themselves at the rave end, so that when they walk into that first party, they have the ability to project power and control and to protect themselves. But the underlying thing that all children need within a family is the ability to go and talk to mum and dad about anything that worries them. One of the biggest barriers that children have is mum and dad's historical reaction when things have gone wrong in the past. And that is very normal. Parents can overreact, but that can deter the child from coming back in the future when they may need more help in a serious um, situation. So open lines of communication. If mum and dad are concerned about their child's use of technology or something changes in their behaviour, sit down at the dining room table find a space, and then be open and talk to them. Express to them what their concerns are and ask them, you know, what's going on in their life. And really that's a conversation that they should be having throughout the child's life. A vital time is the beginnings of their interaction with social media. 
how do you begin to navigate that world? And often this can begin with what appear to be very, and are, you know, very innocent online platforms for children. You mentioned uh, predators online. They can inveigle their way into these. But what are some of the principles, again, that you want to establish at that very early interaction before they're on, you know, Ask FM or, or various media, um, social media platforms? What I'm pleased about is that you're picking up on the idea of preparing the child before they move into those spaces. That's, that's very important. Um, one thing that we've got to stop doing is telling children that they can't talk to strangers. That's never worked. We've got to teach them how to talk to strangers when the need presents. A child that goes into a publicly accessible social network, a child that plays an online game on a multi-level server with people around the world are talking to strangers. So the idea that they can't um, isn't achievable. So we've got to start teaching them how to handle those issues. So before a child moves into those spaces, sit down and talk to them about some very practical steps that they can take. Number one, if you are going to play an online game, the minute anybody asks you questions that have got nothing to do with the game, stop communicating. Number two, when people start to ask you for pictures of yourself, uh, if we don't know those people, then you don't send them. And alongside all of that, letting the child know that they can come up to mum and dad and talk to them about anything that they're worried about. One thing that we should be focusing on as well is not just prevention, but giving the child strategies that once they do believe they've made a mistake or they are in a situation that they believe is risky or can harm them, giving them knowledge and skills on how to move out of that situation for themselves as well. The warning and the anticipation that someone somewhere sometime will try and operate in a way that's not safe or not okay for them, is that important? Is the art of grooming uh, and luring a, a younger person of whatever age or stage down a pathway, the risk. And is forewarned and forearmed a good way of trying to prevent that happening? Um, I think based on their age and level of maturity, then we need to be speaking to them about the world in which they live. Um, and remembering, of course, that these predators and these types of behaviours and crimes occur offline as much as online. And we prepare them in the offline world for the potential for that risk to present. Now, do remember, of course, that just because a risk presents doesn't translate into actual harm. And we have to separate those two things out. Um, I do believe that we should be talking to children about these particular situations, but in a way that's palatable, but also this is vital, that we do not scare them to the point that they believe technology is a tool that they can't use. You don't need to tell them the whole story when they're younger, do you? You yeah, simply need to don't. say, if this happens, talk to me about it. If this happens, it might not be okay. You don't have to go through and tell them what happened to a child in some far-flung you know, country that was in the news whenever. You, Absolutely you, you not. Can simply, I, I, you can simply set up the, the, the warning signs and say, if that happens, it might not be okay. Come and talk to me. Absolutely. Look, you know, when I work with five- to seven-year-olds, and of course we don't. We don't raise the issue of a, a predator or a paedophile. We go into those workshops and we do a workshop which is called a safe circle workshop. Inside that safe circle, they've got family, friends and themselves. And what we do in that workshop is we talk about how valuable they are, how unique they are, how precious they are. Keep your chin up, your shoulders back. It's a very positive, uplifting workshop that teaches them how to keep those three elements inside that safe circle. It's based on power and having control. Now, that doesn't go near the subject at all of, pe of paedophiles or sexual predation. 
once they get to between the ages of 8 and 10, it becomes a digital boundary, and they keep their family and their friends inside that boundary. Then we start to move towards what some of the risks are. But the risk element in those workshops is probably 5 to 10%. The rest is really about empowering them to use technology in a way that um, connects them with the rest of the world. It'll, you know, let's, let's remember that these children today are cybernauts you know, that go into cyberspace, and they have access to information now and cultures that they may never go and meet. And I think this technology is an incredible tool that allows them to do that. Um, so I, I, it is important that we celebrate uh, the positive side of this technology, but also raising parents and children what some of the risks are. What about bullying, which is so prevalent, of course, as you say, it's a real-world uh, experience as well, but the... Um, issue with the online is that it can be so relentless and there can be no escape from it unless. So how do you begin to address and empower children in that area? I think one of the things that uh, was interesting that I noticed in the the Dunedin Longitudinal Study was that this idea of self-regulation is a huge uh, tool that a child uh, can take on their own journey throughout life. And of course that's modelled by parents. One thing before I really answer your question is that I think one of the biggest contributors to stopping bullying in this country are parents, parents that are involved in their child's use of technology. When I meet victims of cyberbullying, then we look at the issue and what they've experienced and we work through it. And then I go and meet with the, the people that have expressed that antisocial behaviour. And often when I look back into their life, you see that they've got parents that are not actively involved in their child's use of technology. If you have a 10 or 11 or a 12-year-old girl or boy that is attacking somebody else repeatedly over time through social networks, through their, their own device that mum and dad have given to them or given them access to, then mum and dad need to be involved in their online world and every now and again go and have a look at how they're communicating in that social space. I think the way that we prepare children um, to live in this space and perhaps deal with these issues from time to time is to give them skills on how to react if it does present. Um, and one of the most important things is to teach children from a very young age is that the minute anyone disrespects you or starts to appear that they are bullying you through technology is do not reply back. Don't say anything back to them. You take all of their power away. Number two, gather your evidence. Take screenshots of what they've said to you. And number three, which is very important, Create a folder and put all of that information in a folder and name that folder someone that you love or trust and then leave the environment and take that to the person that you've named and show them. What that does is, at the point of conflict, the child has formed a pathway to get help. And that's a very important thing that we can do for the child that believes they are in that situation. Much of this is about, as you say, empowering and anticipating their challenges and giving them tools to deal with it, as well as you say, reinforcing the fact that you are there to listen, no matter how bad it is, no matter no matter what's happened. It's does it sit alongside sometimes knowing your safety settings, being able to keep, you know, porn from God knows where in the world and involving whatever. On do you, do you need some level of skill on that basis as well? Absolutely. Or, you know, it, it sits alongside that. I think it does. What I would say is rather than, rather than the idea of having the skill, it's being motivated to ask the right questions of companies in, the, in society that can supply that application or knowledge. For instance, 
there is no question that parental monitoring software can play a role. You know, we can create firewalls on the computer, we can turn those computers off remotely at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, and there is nothing wrong with that. It's a great tool that parents can have. But it is a tool that is in their toolbox. It shouldn't replace good old-fashioned parenting. One of the common questions I get is, you know, um, well, how do I get that? Where do I get that from? Walking into any IT retailer in, um, in a town in New Zealand, if they walk in and ask them, I want some parental monitoring software for my child's device, they'll ask them a few simple questions about the age of the child, what is your expectation, and they will point them in the right direction. They don't need to become IT experts to keep a child safe online. They've just got to go and ask the right questions of the people that have got that knowledge. John, thank you. John Parsons, his book is Keeping Your Children Safe Online, a guide for New Zealand parents. It's published by Potter and Burton. And out now he has worked with police, health authorities and schools all over New Zealand uh, in this area. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.